You're listening to the Faith and Other Oddities podcast, brought to you by the Raven Creek Social Club, where we talk about faith and other oddities. For questions, comments, or to be part of the conversation, join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find us at Raven Creek SC. Now for your hosts, Emily Dixon and Nathan Underwood. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Um, we're back at it. We took a little break yesterday and ran some errands, ate some dinner. I was getting ready to say, ate some food. I forgot about the rest of it. So, yeah, <laughs> the food blocked out everything else. Yeah, come by, we'll cook you some. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it's worth the trip. <laughs> let us know. Don't just drop in. I need, you know, make sure I got plenty of prep time. <laughs> I think your wife would appreciate that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, um, but we're back at it, back in Judges. We're going to wrap up Samson today, I think. I think so. I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I, I, I mean, if there's more stuff that's interesting, that's fine. It just seems like we don't have that much left to go on his story that yeah, might it, be kind of padding things if we could manage to stretch this into two episodes. It depends on how opinionated we get today. Oh, uh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and so, yeah, so what I want to do is wrap up Samson, but then... We've talked about him not being a type for Christ, and I want to kind of look at that aspect of his story and talk about some deliberate, you know, parallels in the stories. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk about that, but we're going to talk about how that doesn't necessarily prove he's a type and why the similarities actually are there to help us contrast. Right. So, um, well, yeah, I think I think we kind of briefly mentioned he's kind of a counter type mm -hmm. of I don't know if that's an actual term, but. It, it is now. I mean, yeah, we can use it. Um, it's not anything like, you know, super cool. I was going to say we could do hashtag, but it's, it's not cool enough for a hashtag, nah. I don't think. Uh, well, of course, do we know? I mean, I think we kind of passed that age bubble to know what's cool enough for a hashtag. I, mm, I don't know. If anyone out there is younger than us listening, can you let us know what's <laughs> cool enough for a hashtag? There we go. <laughs> so anyway. Uh, the problems of te teaching Bible in the modern time. Yeah, it's not really a problem, but I don't know. <laughs> it's just, it's just, how do you, how do you put the information out there? Yeah. Yeah. But, so anyway, let's, let's carry on. Let's. So when we left Samson, he, he had been in Delilah's house and she tried the various ways to bind and subdue him. And of course they all failed right up until he actually told her the truth. Mm -hmm. And now the Philistines have rushed in and they, they've, grabbed him and they've gouged out his eyes. And by the way, we're in chapter 16, verse 21. And so if anyone wants to catch up, they, they, they gouge out his eyes and they take him back to Gaza. Mm -hmm. And we talked about this some last week, you know, sightless Samson is now returning to gateless Gaza. And so, you know, it seems like just desserts for our hero. And, you know, they bind him with bronze shackles and they put him to work grinding grain. And which is kind of significant because one of his major attacks against them was to destroy grain. So again, mm -hmm. we have that reversal that we're seeing in judges. And no, he's have providing seen, grain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the writer of judges, and, and I, I keep talking about this because to me, it's so fascinating how well the story is crafted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's, it's a great story. And despite all of the um, plot holes that we see in various places, this the fact that he can tie these things together, just it, it's mind blowing. And again, this for me, this is proof that this is an inspired work. Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, he is 
you know, he's at the lowest point in his life because, you know, this is the man who's been guided by his eyes the entire time he's been alive. Right. Now he doesn't have eyes. So who is he? What is he? Is he capable of fulfilling God's destiny and purpose? And that's going to be a huge question that if you're reading this for the first time and you know that Samson is one of the great judges in the history of your nation, then I think a new reader would be shocked Mm -hmm. because he's not fulfilled any of the things that we would expect of Israelite, nothing from a Nazarite. And specifically, not somebody who was called to be holy, because that's what a Nazarite was supposed to be. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. Their purpose was to be holy. So, um, you know, that puts a whole different weight on what he's accomplishing. Right. So it was kind of interesting. I hadn't hadn't put that parallel together when we mentioned now he's sightless. And through his life, he let his eyes guide him. Mm -hmm. Uh, That kind of harkens to uh, Jesus speaking mm-hmm. about, you know, if, if your right eye causes you to lust, <laughs> right. to pluck it out. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if there's a definite correlation there, but that, that's what I thought of as soon as you, well, you mentioned that, that now he's, now he's not guided by his eyes. He actually has to be guided by someone else. Well, I, I think this shows us two things. Um, within the Bible, we are not supposed to be guided by our eyes. I mean, that was Eve's first temptation and obviously one she didn't manage to overcome. But to realize that what your eyes want, that, that's the object of your desire. That's the object of your passions. And to know that the Bible keeps saying we can't be led by that if we're going to be in alignment with God. Mm-hmm. And I, I can talk on that all day because we are in a society where if it feels good, then it must be right. Right. And the Bible never affirms that. Matter of fact, it kind of goes the opposite direction when it talks about things like sacrifice crucifying yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we, we, we've tended to make this I, about making us happy. And we see in Samson's life why that's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not saying God doesn't want us to be happy. I, I'm not saying that at all. And I'm, I'm just saying that happiness is found in aligning yourself with God. Right. Yeah, because I I do think there is a there is a tendency, and and I saw someone post something today about, um, we you know Christians should never seek their own enjoyment. Right. And it's like okay, there. If you take that as a blanket statement that we should just never do anything that's right. fun, we should never uh we should never eat good food. We should always seek out uh <laughs> yeah. seek out the most miserable way to do everything. I mean, I, I really don't believe that's what God intended. I mean, if you look at the way the world's structured, I mean, and when he put it all together, he said it's good. And granted, you know, we can make an argument of, oh, well, now it's fallen. So now it's not as good. Or now, or, you know, we have people all the way to the well, extreme saying now it's terrible. And, right. And I, but I, I don't think that we're supposed to just completely uh, abandon any kind of enjoyment in life. I think we are supposed to find joy in following what the Lord calls us to do. Well, and and things that bring us joy and happiness when they are something that God approves of, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. these are signs of God's blessing, his provision, his favor. So when we have those times in life where we can just sit and enjoy a good meal with a good friend, then this is God's blessing in our life. And, you know, that's for me, honestly, that's some of the best quote unquote church services I've ever been to is when you're just sitting around with a friend enjoying something wonderful to eat and a great conversation. And so, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but we've got to watch that 
we don't just make our whole life about always having the next great meal. Exactly. And so exactly. Yeah. I think I, I think I mentioned it before, but Tim Mackey was talking about the Christian disciplines of feasting and fasting. Right. So I'm really good at one of those. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> well, and that's the thing. There is a season to fast, and you know, I won't get into all of that, but you know, the the purpose of fasting is to to say. I am going to put my own desires aside. I can mm-hmm. rule them long enough to focus on God so completely that they don't rule me. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, that's just for a season. And, you know, fasting, of course, has to be for a season. That's just a given. But yeah, there's at, a time limit on that. Exactly. One. So anyway, but back to Samson, because we can we can stay there for a long time on this topic. And he um, he said, um, I just remembered the second point I was going to make because I said there was two points. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, because, okay, so the second point, and this is kind of coming out of some of the hubbub we're seeing on Facebook right now about um, how to take scripture literally and where we need to apply it I'm literally. Of where we're going here. Oh, but. well, you brought up the passage in Matthew where if you, you know, <laughs> you're guided by your eyes, then you need to gouge it out. And it's funny to me that everybody's screaming about taking the Bible literally. I, despite all this, I don't see a single Christian leader with who's blinded. I don't yeah. see a single Christian leader with no eyes. Well, well, I mean, I'm sure there's somewhere out there, there is a one-eyed Christian leader, but I don't think it's for that reason. Right, right. And, or, you know, and I'm not saying that you should do this, but I'm just saying if your premise of preaching is that we take every passage literally instead of contextualizing it, instead of looking at the historical mm-hmm. background, then you're playing fast and loose with your own hermeneutic. And I have no patience for that. So don't, you know, don't tell me that this passage must be applied to my life literally when you aren't willing to apply that passage to your life literally. Right. So. Well, yeah. And then, you know, I think I've, I think the, I said it before, you know, if, if you have someone who thinks that everything has to be taken exactly literally, we have a then, problem, then, um, then we do have a problem, and you and what was it I said? You you can't trust them with uh, theology because they can't be trusted with literary devices. Precisely, and that's where we have to start looking at is what's the literary device being used to to convey a deeper message. Yes, because I mean I think one of the things we've made obvious is we do take this book very seriously, and we do honor it as the inspired word of God, and at the same time, God speaks in a human language because He speaks through humans. And so we, we have to take that into account and really pray through and use some wisdom and discernment about application. So anyway, that's my, my little rant for the day, um, because I'm, I'm reading too much on social media and I'm kind of wound up. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're going to, we're going to cut her Twitter off later, I think. Yeah, I might need to just for my blood pressure. So anyway. It's coffee or Twitter. One of them's got to go. <laughs> Uh, Twitter. This is not a contest. <laughs> so I think 90% of my blood is made up with coffee. So <laughs> I would just die. But yeah. And somebody's probably thinking, well, you need to fast some coffee. No, no. God has grace for this. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I think, I think at that point we might be splitting hairs. Right. <laughs> so anyway, Samson's grinding the grain, which is, is pretty significant because the man who's used animals as his tools, his weaponry, mm-hmm. you know, he, he is now being treated like an animal. And I think I mentioned it last week. Yeah. That, you, you kind of, yeah, we kind of touched on that last week. Yeah. So, you know, Samson, he, he is either God's hero or he's a freak of nature. There's no in between. And that's what sometimes I think I've seen this in people in real life 
I, I don't think of an example right now, but I think I've seen people who've gone so far off the deep end because they've been running from God that they don't fit into society and they don't really belong anywhere because in their rebellion, they've, they've rejected who God's called them to be. And, you know, I've seen this with, with very bitter people a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I won't go into that because I want to go uh, too much further because I don't want to share anybody's story that's not mine. Fair enough. So, but, um, you know, this is, this is the Philistines trying to humiliate Samson. And I, we talked about the, the Philistines. That was their, their standard MO, that you didn't just kill your enemy, you humi- humiliated them. And if they're dead, then you desecrate the body. You put it on display. Everything that's counter to how you handle prisoners of war, slaves, you know, people you've captured, it, it, it doesn't matter. You don't treat them this way according to the Torah. And this is where in, in Judges 1, what we saw was the people of Israel were beginning to treat their prisoners of war like the Canaanites. And this is when they began to start seeing defeat. Sure. So Samson, he, he's kind of fallen prey to this. So in verse 22... We have this little tiny glimmer of hope, but the hair of his head had began to grow again after it had been shaved. So it's just a little hint that things are getting ready to change. Right. Now, in number six, if a Nazarite or somebody who took the Nazarite vow somehow broke their vow, say somebody next to them drops dead. So now they've been in contact with a dead body. Right. The vow has been broken. So... What they do is they shave their head mm-hmm. once again, and then um, the nice. vow starts all over again. Right. So Samson, this is kind of a, a rebirth moment for Samson. Mm-hmm. That The head's been shaved. Yes, it's not been his own doing. It's been because of this enemy. But the vow did not go away because the vow's not been fulfilled. Right. So the vow is still very much in, um, in play. Which kind of makes you wonder, it's like, did the... Uh... You know, his his hair grew back. Is like, I'm wondering, did he decline to have his hair shaved? Right. Um, did, was it was that offered, or was it just the fact, or did the fact that maybe the 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 people didn't groom their slaves right. provided him that opportunity to let the hair grow back? Yeah. Was it just neglect, or was it intentional? Right. That's a good question. I kind of tend to lean towards it was just neglect. I think that, that that's what I because I I, I don't. I don't know if it says, it just says his hair grew back. It yeah. doesn't say that no one noticed. Or... Well, it specifically says it began to grow back. And it, the reason why that's important is because the, um, the words of the angel. Whenever the angel appeared to his mom, the angel said, and he will begin to save the Philistines from the, the Israelites from the Philistines. Mm-hmm. Um, when we get to chapter 13, 25, the spirit of the Lord began to drive him. Mm-hmm. So it, the beginning language is so important. And in Samson's life, he never completes anything, really. He just begins. I mean, even his marriage isn't consummated. It, it, everything's kind of right. left, you know, just, just undone. And then we... So what you're saying is this is an object lesson on follow through. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> Kidding. Sorry. I'm... <laughs> Not going to reduce it to that. No, I mean, but you know, if you get if you feel convicted because the Holy Spirit's speaking through this, then follow through. Anyway, if not, just this is a great literary device because there's another beginning. Delilah began to torment him. So now think about this: the mother hears the words of the angel, 
And these are the words that she speaks about her son. These are the words that she takes back to her, her husband, probably told them to Samson as a boy while he's growing up at some point. And he's strong. He's mighty. Delilah begins to torment him and the strength is destroyed. And so which one of these quote unquote prophetic words, and I'm using that loosely in reference to Delilah, is going to be fulfilled? Mm -hmm. Which one's going to be completed? So um, that's, that's the question that the writer is kind of trying to plant in our mind. Who is Samson going to be? So verse 23 Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. So I want to talk a little bit about Dagon, because what I was always taught is that Dagon was a fish god. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, the reason why that's proposed is um, Dagon is built very closely to the the Hebrew word dag for fish. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. This was not something just crazy. And it, and it would even make sense that if this was a Hebrew writer, he might actually change the literal name of the God to, to a Hebrew word to make fun of it. This is true too. So, yeah. That's... Well, and also the other piece of evidence for that, that reading is that Dagon was worshiped by the, by the Phoenicians and Phoenicians are seagoing people. Mm-hmm. They're known for their great boats. So again, that there's a logical reason for this. However, and this is something that has made its way into the book since I left seminary, and it's because we had this great archaeological find that began to reveal some things. Now, here's the problem. In case you're not aware, I've got a friend who's an archaeologist, and what we've been discussing is how infrequently the archaeologist and the text people talk. Right. And there's not enough crossover. And it's sad because the, the archaeology just explodes the text and the text helps explain the archaeology. So and I'm not just talking about, you know, biblical text. You mean explodes as in it like it expands it. it. Yeah. It, not, not that it. It, <laughs> it doesn't uh, destroy, destroy it. it. Yeah. It, it actually it gives us greater understanding. And so the the fact that the two don't talk as much as they should or as we one might hope mm-hmm. means that sometimes this information's really slow in moving across those lines mm-hmm. and which is sad because uh we're making discoveries now or the archaeologists are that are just they're amazing mm-hmm. and they're confirming so much of what's in this book and I'm not saying oh they found Noah's ark on mount <laughs> mount uh Ararat Thank you. I, I had Everest for some reason was in my, my mind. I'm Way like, off. Yeah, I'm like, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, but the, uh, you know, because I don't know if the Noah's Ark's been found. There have been so many people who've said it is. At this point, I really don't care. I do know that 13 of the 12 apostles are buried in Spain. And, you know, you've got to watch those kinds of archaeological claims. But when it's coming out of accredited institutions and people who are uh, working with teams that aren't just allowing whoever found, you know, this little bit of wood or stone to interpret it according to what they want, but are really being held accountable to interpret it in context with where it's found and what it is, Mm -hmm. that's important information. And that's what we're having a hard time getting a hold of. So, you know, watch the fake news, watch for the clickbait titles on Facebook there. Seriously, (laughs) most of them 
are not accurate. So, you know, if contact us, uh, I, I'll put us out there. If you want to, if you want somebody to kind of bounce something like that off of, mm-hmm. contact us. I'll do some research. I'll do some digging. I'll ask my friends who are into archaeology and say, hey, what do you know? Yeah. And well, and the other thing is, I mean, because and that's a good thing, because I've actually seen several articles where people will post something mm-hmm. and then you'll actually find the journal article that that shows that, hey, this thing's been around for years. Mm-hmm. People have known about it. Right. It's been debunked. Yeah. It's I can't remember which one it is, but there's there's been a couple. Hey, there's been at least a couple. Oh, that, yeah. That I was like, oh, OK, well, I. I wasn't worried about it, but mm-hmm. I'm like, there's got to be something to this because it's just, it's too popular. And it's too popular. And it's really, it's really sad is, <laughs> is it's always the fake news articles on, on these things that become super popular. Always, always. And you kind of go, you can tell the people who are getting sucked in by are people who are sincere mm-hmm. and who want to, to prove the Bible true. I mean, they don't have nefarious motives. They, they just really want it to be true. And well, to to a degree, there are some people who uh, don't want the Bible to be true because I, I that's have the other side of the coin. I, I have uh, <laughs> there was actually somebody somebody posted it was a I know it was a really well produced video, but production value tells you nothing about the content, <laughs> right? As you can see. Um, anyway, the <laughs> I hope <laughs> let let us demonstrate uh, the <laughs> sorry, but um, it was it was one of those about. All these different gods and things that, you know, someone, of course, posted around Christmas time mm-hmm. that, that were direct parallels to Christ and all, uh, you know, you know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. And so then I, I posted the uh, the Horace <laughs> Ruins Christmas <Yes>. video um, <laughs> from the Lutheran satire group. Yes. And great work. <laughs> it was really good. And what was really funny is there were comment, there was comment after comment after comment about how wonderful all this stuff and amazing mm-hmm. it was that this video. And so I commented, hey, while we're getting uh, all of our information from videos on the internet, you might check this one out too. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody replied to it. I know, because it doesn't affirm the narrative they want. Mm-hmm. A- and that's the problem. And we've got to be careful. I mean, I'm constantly in looking at scripture and going, is this really just saying what I want to say? Because that's how I'm reading it. Mm-hmm. And looking at historical information, is this really saying what I want to say? Because that's what I want to hear. And we've got to be careful with that. And I think that's something that all of us need to fight against. And, you know, occasionally I, I've been spending um, a lot of time on websites with people I adamantly disagree with mm-hmm. lately just to get that perspective and asking myself, have I been wrong? Could I have made a mistake? And, mm-hmm. you know, I, because... If I am an error concerning the Bible, I want to correct that. And mm. honestly, it, it's not a correction that I would want to receive. Nothing about it does any good for me. Uh, we may do a bonus episode on this later. But, you know, at the same time, um, that's part of growing and it's part of trusting mm. God. And I don't feel like I'm wrong in what, I, what my original conclusion is. And I think there's enough reason to affirm my original cl- conclusion. But occasionally, as a Christian, just Sit down and look at your the things you hold near and dear and ask yourself, am I really in alignment with God's word? Mm-hmm. And, you know, be okay if you're not. It's okay. It just shows that you're moving. It shows that you're growing. It shows yeah. that your, your, your faith is being built. Yeah, there, well, so, there's, there's nothing wrong with being wrong about theological ideas. Right. Um, except for the one main one, you know, <laughs> is that, you know, Christ, you know, 
Christ is king and he's he's the only mm-hmm. one. Like he's the only one who can save us. Yeah. And and we don't contribute to our salvation. After that, I mean, we can have disagreements about how we interpret other scriptures. Uh, baptism, and, uh, and there's speaking nothing wrong, in tongues. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being wrong, but if you if you are corrected, you have to follow that correction. Right. Right. Um so that's that's well, we yeah, our opinion needed this morning. So. We are, I guess. <laughs> So, okay, so back to Samson in in this archaeological find. What we found, we found temples to Dagon in Mari, which is in, it's in northern Palestine. Um, And they reveal that Dagon was actually a Canaanite god. Okay. And so he's not a Phoenician god. He's not a sea god. So was the previous data an assumption that he was imported by the Phoenicians into the area? Yes. Okay. And so now what we're seeing is a reversal that, no, the Phoenicians inherited him from the Canaanites who were already in the cities that the Phoenicians overtook. I mean, which that would kind of make sense if you're looking at uh, at the idea that gods are tied to the land. Mm-hmm. We, if you if you were if you were a group of people who were kind of nomadic and you mm-hmm. wound up putting a settlement somewhere, you might say, "Oh, well, this god has invited us into their land, right?" And if we want to be blessed, we're going to have to keep worshiping. Exactly, e- exactly, and that's the reason why the divine council worldview makes so much sense of the way things unfold in the Old Testament and the ideas that are present in these ancient Near Eastern cultures. So, what we found in the Mari text, um, the inscriptions and stuff there, is that Dagon is a corn god. He's a grain god. Okay. And so this actually works better with the Samson narrative. Now, Dagon's kind of an interesting guy. We don't know a whole lot about him. He was really worshipped throughout Mesopotamia. He he shows up in some places in southern Mesopotamia. He he's actually Mesopotamia. He's okay. actually um, hey, I didn't say Mesopotamia, so I'm good. Fair enough. Uh, so uh, he is presented as a storm god. And instead of a grain god, in the Ugaritic text, he's identified as the father of Baal. Well, you know, we're often told that El is the father of Baal. So the Ugaritic text actually puts him between El and Baal. So, yeah, Dagon is kind of an interesting person. Philo of Byblos identifies Dagon with the Greek god Kronos, the father of Zeus. Okay. Which I think is interesting. Connections have been made with Dagon in Enlil, the god of the underworld. And he's referred to as the Lord of Sacrificial Victims. Hmm. So when we plug all of this in with Samson, uh, it becomes a really, there's a more depth with the story. But the main thing about Dagon before I, before I get back to Samson is he kind of becomes whoever he needs to be for each society. Right. And he doesn't have a defined role. Uh, as in this is definitely Dagon's characteristics. Sure. So, which is not unusual uh, in ancient Near Eastern uh, mythology. It's not even all that unusual in Greek mythology. And the the gods just kind of become whoever the people want. Now mm-hmm. contrast that with Yahweh. Sure. <laughs> He's like, no, you don't get to define me. And so um, we do know he's one of the longest worshipped gods, despite the lack of mythology around him. I mean, he's definitely showing up here in Judges. Mm-hmm. He's continued to be worshipped right up till the second temple period, the time of, and into the beginning of what we consider the Christian era. That's interesting. So, yeah, it really is. Uh, but given the location of the Philistines, my money and several other scholars, they agree that he is probably a corn god. He's probably a grain god. And okay. so he's a god of crops and... 
it, it makes sense with the Samson narrative. With him burning the grain. Yes. Samson attacked their God. He didn't just attack the corn. And that's the other thing we've got to remember with these, these societies. Gods were in everything. Sure. So to, to attack the corn was to attack the God who grew the corn, who mm-hmm. gave you the corn. And that so, was it corn or grain? Grain, corn, because it, it's not ears of corn like we think about it, okay. at this point. It, so I was thinking like corn, because I, I, was, I was under the assumption like corn as we know it, which yeah. we think of, which would be maize, right. uh, is a North American. It, it's, yeah, that, that's a different thing. And, and corn, a corn like we'd eat corn on the cob is, is kind of a, a newer advent into this world. So, you know, we, we don't really see it being used in ancient cultures. Okay. Um, but. Yeah, grain uh, is probably more accurate, actually. But well, that, that would cover corn too, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So sorry, I I just wanted to make sure, like, because I was like, that just doesn't sound quite right, because <laughs> I I did have the image of of corn on the cob like we have here. Uh, yeah. Well, and that's that's the problem is you know we talk about salt and we see a salt shaker, and right, so right. we've got to be careful not to impose our own worldview and our own experience on the text because they probably had a different experience. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, that, that, that makes sense. I just wanted to kind of clear that up and yeah, for me. <laughs> well, and, and this, the, the words here in, in the Bible are, are grain. And like I said, it does make sense that Samson is, after he attacks this God, that now he's put to work grinding the grain. Mm-hmm. And so again, with reversals in Judges. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's in the service of that God. Yeah. Essentially. And for the Israelites, this would have been like a really dark thing. I mean, this is the guy who was created to begin to save them. Mm-hmm. And he's now in service to Dagon, who has conquered him. Mm-hmm. If that's not a hopeless idea, then I don't know what is. If your God creates a savior and an enemy God can overpower him, how strong is your God? Because right. this isn't a statement about Samson. This is a statement about Yahweh. Right. And I think that's what we need to, to keep in mind. And obviously the Philistines agree with this because they, in verse 24, it's not just the Lord's praising Dagon for giving Samson into their hands. The people see, mm-hmm. note that word, they see Samson and they break out into spontaneous praise. And it says, our God has given our enemy into our, our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed so many of us. Mm-hmm. So the people see this as Dagon's victory over Yahweh. And so when you bring in this divine council worldview that we talk about on so many other episodes, you begin to see how this is just a truth. It's a standard truth that everybody in this area and culture and time accepted. Right. The only people who have a problem with this view are us, you know, enlightened moderns. Yeah, the one the ones who know the people who wrote the scriptures couldn't have possibly meant what they wrote. Right, right. <laughs> it's it, but contrast this with with Deborah, who you know they break out in spontaneous song, in song, but it is for Yahweh. And so we're seeing how wrong, how messed up this whole system, this whole scenario is, and it really does remind us that all of these wars are between the gods. Right. So. What they, the Philistines didn't understand was Dagon didn't, didn't win because Dagon doesn't defeat Yahweh. Yahweh had left. That's why that, that passage, that little verse in the previous chapter is so important. That Yahweh had left yeah. Samson. Yeah. He's not there. There's no victory because there was no battle. Right. So this is, it's 
the behind the scenes that the narrator's giving us that helps us make sense of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does that does make sense because yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's not the defeat of Yahweh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So verse twenty five: When their hearts were merry, and for anyone who needs help deciphering that, when they're drunk, when they were yeah, after they'd been <laughs> drinking. Yeah. This is a huge party. And remember, these, these celebrations for these foreign gods included a lot of alcohol mm-hmm. and they included a lot of sex. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this kind of helps you understand why people might get a little distracted about what's going on. But, you know, they get bored. They call for Samson to entertain them. And this is part of that humiliation mm-hmm. that the, the Philistines are so famous for. And he was made to stand between the pillars. Okay, this is significant because the pillars um, in these ancient temples, this is where the judge would stand. The, the temples themselves were used as places of judgment. Okay, well, one thing before, okay. we, get, before we get there, okay. I want to I point out just a difference in uh-huh. the ESV and the JPS that I thought it was interesting, is um, in the ESV it says uh, that he would come and entertain us. Mm-hmm. And they said, call Samson here for him to dance for us. Yeah. And they fetched him and he danced for them. Yeah. And I'm just, that, I mean, that, that's a little detail to the story. It's that just kind of makes it all feel a little worse. Yeah. Well, it's that dance puppet dance kind of mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and it's also, if you consider the type of party they're having, Mm -hmm. what kind of dancing is he doing? Right. You do I mean, not want me to answer that. <laughs> so, I mean, I mean, seriously, like how much have they, are they humiliating him? Since it's the Philistines, uh, probably in every way they can possibly think of. Yeah. And, you know, if you've ever been to a college party with the misfit who suddenly showed up trying to fit in, we know how bad that can get sometimes. Yeah. So, so I mean, and that was just like, mm-hmm. said, it's. It's a little more detailed in the JPS. Well, this is the reason why you need several different translations. If you're not reading it in the Hebrew, go back and get the various translations and try to see the differences and the distinctions. Mm-hmm. And I love actually for Bible Hub uh, for that reason, mm-hmm. because you could put in a specific verse and it will pull up every, just about uh, every, every translation. Yes. Yeah. So you can read right through and you can kind of see. And when you realize, okay, that 90% of these agree on this one translation, and there's one out here that says something really crazy, then you can kind of go, okay, I, I can stick more with the mainstream because sure. you know, people who do Bible translations, they work really, really hard. Now, and, and one other thing that I think is interesting, ESV renders it house, JPS mm. renders it temple. Okay. So I'm wondering yeah. if there's any significance to that. I don't know if that's I something you're going to hit on or believe. And I'm not, I don't have the, the Hebrew with me, but I'm, so I'm trying to remember, I believe it's Beit Dagon. Um, it's like house, house of Dagon. Uh-huh. So like the house of the Lord. Okay. So it, it's the same kind of, um, the meaning's the same, even if the, the difference is the same, it would be, it's, Totally in keeping with the JPS to just call it a house because the temple belongs to but God. But ESV calls it house. Oh, okay, so it's different. JPS says. Oh, temple. okay. Well, so that's, that's that is what I kind of found interesting. Yeah. So. No, that's even more interesting because I it, it would make more sense to me if JPS kept it as house and ESV did yeah. that. So yeah, might be something to hit now, up on the recap. Here's what I do know about the ESV. The ESV is often more literal in its translation 
And that's one of the reasons why it can be very difficult to read, especially out loud, because it doesn't have that smooth flow because it's being literal. Sure. So it probably says Beit Dagon. Um, that's kind of confirmation for me without stopping to look it up. Yeah. No, I'm so, not asking you to stop and look it up. It was just so, a question I had. Yeah. But in these temples, this is a place where uh, judgment would be would be given and that the representative of that God would step out and offer this divine oracle and, and decree, you know, certain things needed to be done to this quote unquote sinner. And even placing him there is a type of humiliation because here's the judge of Israel being forced to stand in the place where the judge of Dagon mm-hmm. would have would have been standing. And, you know, who can he judge? What can he judge? I mean, he's been just like the Philistines. Right. So to, to stand there is kind of them, them laughing. You know, this, it, it's, it's the same thing as that, that sign on the cross, King of the Jews. Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I was, think, I was thinking that. I was also thinking of the, of the various puppet rulers that were put mm-hmm. in place uh, in Israel later on in their history. Yeah. And it's kind of saying, oh, you, you want to be a judge? Here, be a judge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. so here you are. We, we'll, we'll give it to you. And excuse me. So Samson said to, this is verse 26, said to the young man who was with him, let me feel the pillars on which the house rest that I may lean against them. Now, there's a couple of things that are interesting. The, the, I was really kind of disappointed with the ESV. The, the Hebrew here is the boy who held him. It, it was, it, it's, and it's not holding like in restraining. It's like offering support. Yeah. Who was, yeah. Who was like leading yeah. him around. Yeah. It, well, and was like almost like, you know, had his arms around him, supporting him almost like a human crutch. Sure. That his strength was so depleted that he needed a boy. And the, the, the words there is kind of ambiguous. It can mean a child or it can mean a young man. So we really it kind of covers all of that. So we aren't uh-huh. sure how old this boy is. Right. Um, but he needs to be strengthened by another. And, and what's interesting too, is this is the first time Samson ever asked for human help. Right. Never before has he asked anybody for anything. And so the only thing he asked that would even come close when he asked the Judites, don't kill me. You don't, don't be the ones to kill me. You can turn me over to the Philistines, but don't be the ones. But that's not even help. Well, and I mean, there's that. And then there's also, I, you could also see it with his parents asking them to get the wife. Go get the him. wife. So yeah. But as far as like actual physical help, this is, this is the first time. I mean, because mm-hmm. this should have been the man calling for an army. He doesn't call for an army. He has to ask a Philistine boy mm-hmm. to help him find his spot mm-hmm. and talk about humiliation. I mean, if you aren't going to ask for help, God's the way you should. Mm-hmm. God's going to make sure you do ask for help eventually. So, right. but it's an oddly specific request. The pillars of the house re- on which the house rest. How does he know? How does he know the layout of this temple? He can't see it. Well, maybe was he there? I mean, was he there before? Is that where that's you're going? what I'm yes that I he almost had to have been and I mean well, I mean Orca was a popular enough place he might have heard other people talking about it as well could but, be you know there's well we, we just we don't know it's all speculation he likes prostitutes we, yeah, what happens enough. in temples um we got temple prostitution 
And that I, I think that's interesting. That is speculation, but I mean, it's it's to me, it's an oddly, oddly specific request with a really weird knowledge of something that he wasn't supposed to have any dealings with. Sure, you know, this is this is like um, Christians who say they have no knowledge of tarot telling you what a tarot card means. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's it's kind of that same yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I don't I don't do any. Uh magic stuff but they can tell you <laughs> yeah exactly i've never had any contact with it but um verse 27 a little interesting detail and you're going to see why this is an interesting detail when we get to the comparison of samson and jesus uh, i'm going to hang on to that so that's your teaser to tune in for the next episode Three thousand people were on the roof the lords were inside so we have the general public, they're on, on the roof, that evidently there's an opening in a roof that, that they can look down in and they're watching. And this is also the same number, by the way, of the tribe of Judah when they come to take Samson. Mm-hmm. So interesting there. Uh, but Samson in verse 28 calls out to God for the second time. But don't get too excited because, I mean, we, we want to, to make this into this great prayer of humility. Mm-hmm. It's, let's listen to what he actually says. Oh, Lord God, remember me and please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Okay, so we begin with the correct language. Oh, Lord God. So this is, oh, um, this would be Yahweh and Elohim, both those titles put together. Yeah. This is proper language. He's acknowledging he's praying to the God of Israel in the temple of Dagon, so there's no confusion. Mm-hmm. And he, he's also using something that's very formulaic whenever we see this in other portions of the Bible. Oh, Lord God, and mm-hmm. remember, this is, don't remember me as an individual. I want you to remember the promise that you made to me or my father. So, you know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Samson. Now he's, he's a little different because he can say you made a promise concerning specifically me. Right. So he's not saying, remember me so much as remember what you promised me. And this is, like I said, very formulaic. We see it over and over again, and it's almost always an appeal to the covenant. Right. Yeah, I I do think one thing I think is kind of funny, and you we might get to this a little bit later. Where you're talking about the the me my I language mm-hmm. about how it's very uh, self focused, but there is at the end of the prayer in the in the JPS it says that I may be avenged for at least one of my two eyes. Yes, and that's actually more correct. And so I think that's funny because that's even like my one of my eyes is worth three thousand philistines. Right. Eyes. Yeah. He. <laughs> Because Samson, it's all about him. And this was his way of saying, you owe me. Mm-hmm. Not, not that I deserve, but you owe me. And, right. and he does get it right in the fact that God owed him because God had made the promise and God's faithful to keep his promises. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, nothing Samson has done has merited God's favor. Sure. So we've got to remember that this this prayer is not a positive prayer at all. I mean, he's not talking about the nation of Israel. He's not talking about defeating God's enemies. This is God's hero in Dagon's temple 
we should be worried about God's reputation. We should be worried about how they perceive God, mm-hmm. not Samson. But Samson is only worried about himself. Just this once. That's an interesting phrase, too. Right. Just, because he's saying that in this one moment, in this one time, I, I want you to help me. Because if you'll notice, none of Samson's actions ever went beyond the present. Right. He's always stuck in that moment. He's so ruled by his eyes that he has no vision for the future. Mm-hmm. And so he, he can't even imagine how God can move beyond this moment for him. Mm-hmm. He, he just thinks that it's, all, it's still all up to him. And, you know, if you remember back in 15.7, verse 7, he's like, I'm going to do this to the Philistines and then I'll quit. Right. It, it, he's so, he's short-sighted. He's been short-sighted, and then he eventually ends up blind. So there's this progression. Well, and, it, and it's all about vengeance the whole time. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not about that. I can deliver the people. Contrast it, that to the Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Right, and then you know, and this also kind of harkens back to Esau. Mm-hmm. We talking about we talked about him being very short-sighted about everything, mm-hmm. not thinking about the future, not thinking about you know his birthright. You know he. The, the people God chooses to use are people of vision. Uh, that's just the way it is. When we look at Abraham and we look at Rebecca and we, we look at Ruth, uh, we see people who, who have a, a vision that aligns with God. And, and they're able to say, I can do something that's hard. I can do something uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. I can give up my home. I can give up my family. I can give up you know, whatever it is that, that they have to leave in order to follow God, they don't have a problem with that. Right. Samson, every time he leaves, it's to go get something he wants mm-hmm. for himself. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the distinction because Samson not being able to look beyond that moment, he's willing to give up everything as long as his desires can be satisfied. Right. And yes, uh, the, that is something that the, the sages did pick up on and they, they, make this parallel connection between Esau and Samson. So, yeah, you're up there. Okay. You're getting there. I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> I'm learning to read the Bible. But no, I, <laughs> I, think, uh, I think the main thing is he doesn't see a way out. And because he can't see a way out, he doesn't expect God to have a way out. And this, I think this speaks to his level of faith. He's got some faith, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have enough faith. And, you know... How, how many of us are like this, where we have this, we have some faith. Mm-hmm. God's good. God loves us. Uh, is God going to move on our behalf? Is God going to remember us? I mean, I, I told a friend, oh, several friends, like, I have all the faith in the world that God is going to bless you. He's going to protect you. He's going to do great things in your life. Mm-hmm. I, I don't always have it for me. Right. And, right. you know, we can talk about whether that's a good or a bad thing. It might be because I need to be remember to be humble. But anyway, that's, that's a whole other thing. Another thing. Another thing. I can't even say it. Uh, but anyway, but I ask myself over and over again, as I'm reading through this and going through the different points of Samson's life, and particularly here, what if in this moment, he'd say, God, I'm sorry, I screwed it up. I didn't do what you told me to do. And, and I know I don't deserve your help. But I want to take my place as your hero, and I want to take my place as who you created me to be. And we, you could not be humiliated. You should not be humiliated before this other God. Right. 
what would have happened? I mean, we God restored his eyesight? Would God have gotten him out of there another way? Would he have been the great blind judge of, of Israel who, you know, what would have happened? Right. We, and, you know, obviously we don't know, but, you know, throughout his story, he's had these moments where if he would have just stopped and asked God, hey, what do I do next? Because judges and prophets and Nazarites all kind of share this unique bond with God where we expect God to lead them. Right. And, you know, it's all in a slightly different manner, but at the same time, the presence of God in their life is, is the hallmark of all three of these offices. Mm-hmm. And yet, Samson never taps into that. Right. So, and when he does, it's, I'm thirsty and I want revenge. Right. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's very bizarre. Very so, counter to how we how we present the story in Sunday school. Very counter to yeah how we even preach about it to the the, the adults in the service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you just read what's on the page, you begin to see. Oh my goodness, he does not care about God in one mo- one little minute of this. Right. He just wants God to be there so he can use God. And the thing is, Samson doesn't need to be vindicated. He doesn't need to be avenged. He's exactly where he belongs. He's gotten exactly what he deserves because mm-hmm. he did all this to himself. Right. And he has never once acknowledged that, which also ties us back to Gideon when Gideon's talking to the angel of the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so we, we're seeing this decline in faith. At least Gideon kind of referenced what God had done before. Mm-hmm. Samson's not even going there. And we need to realize that God's honor is on the line here. Right. Not Samson. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the thing is, this is why I love one of the things that I love about God. That table's way further away than I thought. <laughs> one of the things I love about God is so often he does give people exactly what they want. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're going to see that obviously with Israel and Saul. So, but that's going to be fun. Yeah. So. To give you a hint about where we're going later, but yeah, yeah, yeah. C.S. Lewis even mentions that that you know, ultimately God gives us what we want, whether we want you know to. I can't. I, I'm butchering the quote, but it's whether we want to be submissive and and be in His presence or to be away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, He's going to give us one of those things. Always, always, and um, you know, sometimes we don't always know what we're asking for, mm-hmm. and but and Samson's a, a good example of that. So in verses 29 and 30, Samson places his hand on each pillar and he leans against them. And his final words are, let me die with the Philistines. Now, this is a man who, when the, the angel of the Lord came to, to say, hey, you're going to have a son. Mm-hmm. The first words spoken about him were about he was going to begin to separate, the, the, to save and deliver the Israelites from the Philistines. Right. Um, his whole life has been bound up with Philistine woman after Philistine woman. He battles against the Philistines and, you know, he, he serves the Philistines as their slave. His entire life has been defined by the Philistines mm-hmm. and sometimes voluntarily, sometimes involuntarily. But in this last moment, he actually, it's, it's kind of like his final surrender that mm-hmm. I am a Philistine, so I need to die with the Philistines. Mm-hmm. It, it's not it's not, God, you're going to be glorified in this. It is, this is who I am, and this is what's going to happen to me. It's, it's this, this very morbid acceptance. 
And instead of having faith in who God said he could be, he he's taking in what his senses can acquire and looking back on his life and realizing he never really was an Israelite. He right. never wanted to be an Israelite, and he certainly didn't want to be a Nazarite. Mm-hmm. So in his death, he really is, he's united with this people that he's chosen over God's people. Right. And, you know, and I, I'm, I know, yes, he put his hand against each pillar, and this is a foreshadowing of the cross. Um, I, I think sometimes we're, we're reaching a little too much. Right. And so I, this was not a great superficial, uh, sacrificial, uh, it was superficial, but it was a great sacrificial act on his part for God. This, this was about his eyes. Right. He said that. And if we try to make it anything more than what he said, mm-hmm. then we're reading into the text and we're adding to the text and, and we've got to be careful with that. Right. Especially when it directly contradicts what the text says. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so Samson, I mean, God's perspective in all of this, it's never given. We we don't know what he he's thinking about it. But here's here's the thing. In this moment where Samson does make this request and God does return his strength, it's not because God is necessarily honoring Samson, but it's because God's desire and Samson's desires just happen to converge. Right. It, it, it's not approval. And I think we've got to get past that idea. It, it's not approval. We're going to see even in the rest of Judges, success does not equal approval. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when we get to the next, like, yeah, we, when we get to the, the Levite and the concubine, the, you're definitely going to see that success and approval are two very different things. Two entirely different things. And if we start thinking of success as approval, then we all just need to go join up and sign on for the prosperity gospel and send in your money to the whoever you want to on TV. Uh, I'm not endorsing that. That was total sarcasm for anyone who might have missed it. Yeah. But God, you know, God needs to be vindicated before Dagon. The Philistines and the Israelites need to know that Dagon is not bigger than Yahweh. Mm-hmm. And so in doing this, that's the decree. That's what God is showing that he is bigger. Mm-hmm. And even with this broken man who needs a, ch- a boy who might be a child, might be a teenager, to carry him, to hold him mm-hmm. to this place where he can put his hands on the pillars, God can still operate through that. Mm-hmm. And even in Samson's disobedience. And we, the narrator wraps up the story with, with this interesting line. Uh, verse 31, and let me find it. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal Te'el in the tomb of Manoach, his father, and he judged Israel for 20 years. Okay. Where did the brothers come from? His mama was barren. And yeah, it, it's it, it's a little clue like that. One of the things we're going to find, and we're going to see this in um, Hannah's story, women who are barren, when they have that child of promise, so often right after that child of promise, several more children follow. Okay. And so this, this is a continuation. Not only will God answer the prayer for one child, he, he will greatly exceed the expectation. Hmm. And the, what's important about this is they they 
take him and they bring him up. In death, they bring him up and put him back where he belongs in the tomb of his father. Mm. And so he's reunited with his people in death, not in life, Mm. never in life. But now he can be an Israelite. Now he can be celebrated. And I think sometimes the way we remember him as being this great man is part of the continuation of that, that we have brought him up, that the modern reader is trying to bring him up. I think we're doing it incorrectly. But at the same time, I think that's kind of, I don't know, I think there's kind of a legacy there. Sure. That was started here in this, in this passage. And, you know, his, his faith is, is totally suspect on so many levels. And I, I think we need to, to remember that. But he is remembered because he had just enough faith. Mm-hmm. And his faith was very self-centered and very self-serving. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't negate the fact he still believed that God was able to accomplish great things through him. And sometimes maybe that's where we need to start out. Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I, that is actually, you know, kind of what you're saying. I, I think there is, uh, sometimes we do really harp on the idea that of, of you know, trying to scare people into the, into the gospel. That yeah. We start people out with this idea that um, we... We shouldn't. We shouldn't uh, have our faith in God just to escape hell, right? But sometimes, maybe if it starts there, yeah, um, then maybe it if can, that's all you got, if that's all you got is believing that God's powerful enough to save you from hell, mm-hmm. and then you keep learning and mm-hmm. and growing, then you know you it can grow into a a, a more intimate relationship with God that that can be a uh, you know a Mm-hmm. A, a full faith. Uh, and I, I don't know exactly how to explain it without making it sound like there's some kind of, like there's varying <laughs> levels and certain people are, are just adepts of the faith, you know? I, I think I think one of the major differences, I think you know, if we want to use levels, it's kind of hard because um, you don't want to, theology is such a tricky language because it's so limited by a language. Mm-hmm. But I know for me, I believe that there's a good portion of my life where I had a saving faith. Mm-hmm. where there was no doubt about the fact that God was my savior, Jesus was my savior. But then there was a, the time when the faith shifted, something in me shifted, and I, my faith became about Jesus being my Lord. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That, there was a huge difference in that, and it, it required more of me, and it required that I actually turn loose of a lot of things that I thought defined me. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that for a lot of us, especially those of us who grew up in the church and we do have a belief in salvation through Christ, the idea of God as our Lord, as Jesus as our King, is something that we kind of have to discover at a personal level. And it's not something that we can inherit inherit from our parents or our grandparents. Right. So I guess from that sense, there there are kind of levels, but that really kind of seems weird too. So, but yeah, but uh, yeah, and I don't want to say it in levels as in one's one person's better than another person because we're all you know we're all equal, but we're different levels of maturity, and I think we have to acknowledge that. Yeah, I mean, because that is stated in the Bible, Mm -hmm. like growing into maturity and and being ready for for the more difficult doctrines and things like that. And, you know, uh, that's, that's a really hard thing to, to think about sometimes, but it's why we've got to have believers around us who are in those various levels. And, you know, if you think you've arrived and you're so mature, you're not, but if you do <laughs> think that you've arrived and you're so mature, then you need to intentionally be including people who aren't as mature 
in your mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. Number one, to remind you what it's like to be there. Number two, so that you can help and, and guide them into that maturity. We, we don't leave human babies alone, uh, you know, biological babies alone. Right. We, we shouldn't leave um, these spiritual babies alone. And that's well, part of what we're called to. Yeah. Well, and it's, and that's one of the things I found is kind of the mark of, of, of mature people. And I'm going to, I might offend some people here, but people who are mature in their faith, one of the biggest marks of who, how to spot those people is they're not afraid to, they're not afraid of questions. Mm -hmm. They, um, are willing to teach. And Mm -hmm. if they're asked a question, even if it's something about, you know, something that contradicts what they believe, Mm -hmm. they don't immediately start mocking the other person. Because I've seen that time and again, Mm -hmm. where, um, there, there's a couple on the uh, on the internet that <laughs> not a couple, but a couple of teachers who yeah. are in different ministries that they get questions and their response is, "Oh, well, that's just a silly question." Mm-hmm. I even even a first year should know the answer to this, right. and that's their answer. That's not an answer. That's no. dismissal. Well, and, and it makes you wonder: Do they know the answer? Yeah. Does the teacher know the answer? Exactly, and and so and and. We, we're not afraid to say we don't know if we it's don't know. It's a valid know. answer. And, and that's, that's the thing. I've been able to tell that to people and they're like, oh, okay, well. well and, and, they're, and they're fine with that. And I'm like, you know, let me get back to you. Or if you want more information on it, I'll see what I can mm-hmm. dig up. But, um, you know, it, it's just, it just frustrates me whenever I see Christian teachers telling people, oh, well, that's something a first year should know. Or... Oh, well, I wrote about it in this article. Okay, well, can you summarize your article just right. a little bit? Or at least give me a link. Give me a link <laughs> or something. Yeah. And quit laughing. And quit. Yeah. <laughs> don't laugh at, yeah, oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, we don't do that to our kids. If you, well, I mean, most good parents don't. I occasionally laugh at my kids for asking stupid questions, but, you know, uh, I'm not, I'm not the role model here. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, but, but, but my, my, my point is, you know, we, we can't be dismissive to people because they don't know the things that we know. It, it, well, and this is the thing. If somebody's willing to question, it means they're ready to hear the answer. Mm-hmm. And if we miss that opportunity, that's on us. Yep. And I think we need to remember that it, it's on us. How are we treating each other? Are we showing we love each other? Are we representing the the attributes and the fruits of the spirit that our faith says, that our word says mm-hmm. we should be demonstrating. If we're not, then we've got to ask ourselves, are we really following this word and are we willing to actually follow God? Right. I'm, so, yeah, I, okay. I know we're kind of sounding a little harsh, but it, it, if you're in leadership in Christianity, um, you've, you've said, I'm, will, I'm willing to be accountable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that includes by random podcasters who... Yeah, if you're, if you're in a public <laughs> ministry, yes, um, you're open to public critique. Pretty much. We are not excluded from that. Precisely. Like, I don't necessarily consider this a ministry. I kind of consider it a, just a conversation. Right. But it is a conversation that we have in public. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we try to make sure that we're doing the best we can okay. and we're open to public critique well, and correction. I don't want to be wrong about this. I mean, just point blank. I don't want to be wrong about what I'm teaching about the Bible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so if I'm wrong, I need somebody who is wiser and more mature to, to, to point that out to me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. because. And we'll be glad to record a retraction. I, absolutely. So, and we'll probably leave the other episode up <laughs> so people can hear it, but we'll probably put a link, you know, we'll probably put it in show notes like, hey, mm-hmm. this statement was made. And I've even done that before. I, I miss, 
stated something and corrected it yeah, in the show notes. Yeah, and occasionally, you know, we, we, I, I've caught myself a couple of times misstating something, but I think everyone realizes it's just me getting excited and mm-hmm. and mixing up a name or something. Yeah, so, most of the time. Yeah, it's not it's not a theological point that I'm I'm butchering, hopefully. So, but if I do, like I said, correct me. So, cool. Well, that's <laughs> that seems like a good place to wrap up for this week. Um, so everyone out there uh, who's listening, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, if you did, come back and listen again. Hit that subscribe button, like, share, comment, um, all those fun things that help us uh, get the word out because we do feel like this is important information for Christians to hear because, I mean, who doesn't want to be more familiar with their Bible? Um, right. We, we should all want to be. So um, if you want to be part of the conversation, hit us up on Raven Creek SC on all the social media, ravencreeksc.com, where you can find show notes, as we previously mentioned, and um, some other ep- other episodes, uh, some and, independent uh, blog posts, and other shows. So you've got the Commentarians with Joe Zaragoza and Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. And so. be watching for further developments there. Yep. So, so anyway, so I hope everyone has a good week, and we will be back next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Faith and Other Oddities podcast, a Raven Creek Social Club production. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you've heard, please write us a review on iTunes or consider supporting us on patreon.com slash ravencreeksc. As always, thank you for listening and don't forget to join us next week.